the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Uh, with me in studio is James Blend. Hello, James. How are you, Georgine? I'm doing all right. That's good. Uh, James is the producer of this program, and Clark Hilton is actually engineering the program. And we're glad to have you with us on a fun Friday afternoon. you got to imagine that uh, Clark has never been more happy to have a giant sheet of glass between the two of us (laughs) and himself. Because the pool of germs that are created just by engaging in conversation is probably more than anyone could take. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised we both fit in the room with the germs. Well, if you haven't yet guessed, um, James and I are both nursing severe colds, and it's been quite the week. In fact, you were on vacation just days ago, and you had this thing? I It started right before I went, and I'm still not sure if this is one big, long, epic cold, or if the, I happened to get one of those double whammies where just as I was starting to get better from one, another one hit me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I had this while, uh, while, uh, in, uh, Disneyland a few weeks, uh, two weeks ago. Wow. That has to be miserable to be at Disneyland with a really bad cold. It was even worse because we, the first day we were there, the rain was worse than most days in Portland. Really? It was a complete downpour Which for the first help. half day. Didn't no, I, and I was pretty well protected. I had, uh, I had geared up. We had, we'd done our homework as to how to be prepared for that weather was not prepared to, however, do it with a cold. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there's no way to avoid totally getting wet and, you know, on a 50-degree day, which admittedly is still 20 degrees warmer than it had been back home. Um, yeah, that was bad. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Well, I, this is how my day has gone. Uh, in order to get through the show, I have to have a hot beverage. I was going to make myself As lemon and honey tea, which tends to help. But it's hard to keep it hot enough to soothe my throat. Well, a friend, Chris, um, gave me a packet of ginger tea, which I really enjoy. Oh. And I put that in the microwave. I thought he liked me, too. After I put all the hot water in, and half of it boiled away. I mean, that's the perfect illustration of how my week is gone. Half the tea boiled away. So not only is half your week was boiled away, too. So, I mean, yeah, there's there's that. Not only did I lose half the tea, then I had to clean up, you know, that glass tray in the microwave, trying to keep it from dripping all over everything. It's just been that kind of a day, that kind of a week. Yeah, we had a thing with the, our, our microwave last night, actually, that uh, uh, as far as cleaning the tray, uh, we had not noticed that uh, at some point, um, smaller hands had maybe opened the microwave and just thrown a piece of foil in there. <gasps> no. Maybe about the size of a dime, if that. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have been... Rem- so my wife put a, uh, um, a uh, um, some soup in there. And walked away, and all of a sudden I'm like, uh, babe, your soup's on fire. Snack, crackle, pop. Yep, and it, it wasn't too bad. I mean, we were fine, but uh, like, what's causing us? Something metal's in there. What did she put? Yeah, yeah. Um, 
what are you doing to nurse your cold? That's been the challenge for me. I've tried every over-the-counter thing I can think of. I tried Zymax because somebody told me if you start to get a cold, you take Zymax and it'll just it'll shorten it. Uh, and you, you barely know get, you had it. I mean, it. that stuff like Zymax and Zycam and stuff. You have to That's get what to it was, so, Zycam. You have to get to it so early. And some, especially it's like, is this out? Especially this time of year, as, you know, weather is starting to turn a little bit. Um, the, uh, you know, every time I get sick at this time of year, the first question I have is, is this allergies or am I getting sick? Um, so a lot of times I miss the window with that. Yeah, I don't generally have allergies, so I knew I was getting a cold, but somehow I missed that window and it didn't really help. So I've but, tried Mucinex. I've tried yep. everything I can think of. I've tried, uh, what's the the sinus medication that we go to Washington to buy? Sudafed, yeah. Sudafed, I've tried everything. Yeah, Sudafed has been very much um, not effective this time, this particular cold. Yeah. Um, I, I've taken quite a bit of it and, uh, it, the effects have been minimal. The, the main things, um, um, uh, summer from our promotions department and also hosts, uh, the mornings on KPDQ FM, um, gave me last week a packet of Fisherman's Friend, um, the throat lozenges. Oh, uh-huh. And, um, oh my word, those are magnificent. I had never used them before. Do you still um, have any left? I might have like one. And you haven't told me about this? Um, I've been struggling all week, and you're just now mentioning it. Well, they are cough drops. I mean, they're not, but yeah. Yeah, well, I've been coughing too. I'm going to pick some up because I'm going to be at yeah, the they, they, Ignite tomorrow. I have I have uh, experimented with a lot of, I mean, you know, the halls of medicine are fine. Um, Ludens are still candy. Uh, I like but, candy. Uh, I, I know, and I like Ludens. I, I still, you know, I still have fond memories of pretending to cough so I could have a Ludens. <laughs> uh, but um, the... Um, this one was it immediately hits you and go whoa, uh, with basically a wall of menthol, and uh, you realize about two minutes later as you're getting over the throat, I haven't coughed, my throat doesn't hurt. This is not too bad, but the problem is as with any throat lozenge, it's you know once the lozenge Melts is over, away. Uh, so does the effectiveness. It doesn't yeah. last a whole lot longer than the than the lozenge itself. But um, when I've really 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 needed it, it's been there. Yeah. Well, I got to figure something out, but we've been uh, sort of nursing colds and pitying one another all week long. I'm we, hoping we've, we even had a rare dual sick day. I, don't, I can't remember the last time both of us were sick on the same day. But it's interesting. We've had a lot of people out. I know Crystal yes. Thornton on our sister station. She was out for a whole week, if I'm not mistaken. And there have been yep. quite a few people who haven't been seen in the halls here for for quite a while, so. Yeah, there are at least a couple of people in the back office that I'm aware of that have been dealing with the same thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, we've we, we've been kind of decimated by it right now. But uh, by I know we had so many promotions with strep throat. So, I mean, it's just everything's going around. Yeah. Well, and, you know, when you're in programming, you're speaking very closely into a microphone. You're handling a lot of stuff that we share uh, up close and personal. I've been wiping everything down. I've been using hand sanitizer every time I touch my face or do something related to the cold. I'm, I've been spraying the, the mic cover when I'm finished with Lysol, trying to avoid spreading the, the germs, but it can be a little bit tough. The thing for me is I think I have mucus poisoning. I, I have blown my nose so much. My head isn't large enough to contain I everything can't, I can't that I've eliminated. Out where it's from, yeah. I can't figure it out, and I'm pretty sure my head is larger uh, in circumference than it generally. Does it look bigger to you? Because it's, it's 
got to be a little bit bigger because there's just a lot going on in there. It, it's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I've always thought you had a bit of a swelled head, but you know, that's that's a whole other story. Yeah. Well, oh, we're going to take a quick break here. I promise we're not going to talk about. Um, colds and flu for the remainder of the program, but I think a little self-pity was uh, in order. I think so. It's, yeah. it's, pity is the best medicine. <laughs> it doesn't really help. My throat still hurts and I can't drink my tea. But I feel better about myself. Well, I feel better about you too. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. It's a fun Friday afternoon. Later in the program, we'll take a look at some of the more serious headlines just to keep you up to date, but we're having a bit of fun on a Friday, so I hope you'll stay with us. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon or fun-ish. It's kind of a fun-ish Friday afternoon. Uh, James Lynn is with me in studio for a little while, just kind of hanging out. One Oregon school district is taking a national trend to the next level. Um, You know, a lot of these schools, when they have to announce to their students and their parents that they're closing, they've come up with creative ways to do that. Well, a pop song parody, Snow Day Announcement, has become sort of the thing, and it's gained popularity all around the country for the last couple of snow seasons. But Justin Corey, who's the principal of um, Oakley Middle School in Junction City, and Brian Young, who's the principal at uh, Junction City High School, didn't stop at just one funny pop song parody. As the snow days mounted for that area in the Junction City School District, so did the parody song announcement. It all started on Monday with a cover of Simon and Garfunkel's Sound of Silence. The Sounds of Snow Day is how they did the song. The video featured wigs, uh, falling snow, a staple of the genre. Teachers singing charmingly, slightly off-key. Kids got a kick out of it. So did their parents. Parents. Uh, the video, as of Thursday, had almost 35,000 views. That's pretty good for Junction City. Um, they have a population of 6,101, so that puts that in perspective. The new media caught wind of their uh, video, and when the second snow day happened on Tuesday, Corey and Young doubled down and made another video. This time they did a cover of Billy Joel's Piano Man. Uh, so far, that video has about 22,000 views, but the snow days didn't stop, and neither did Corey and Young. On day three, well, of no school for snow, uh, day three, the duo did a Wham! cover. This time they got um, costumes and a whole bunch of uh, backup singers, I'm assuming school personnel. Which brings us to Thursday, a day which, according to the Junction City School District website, was another snow day. Well, Corey and Young, they were ready. This time they donned beards. They went into the actual snow to film a cover of Man of Constant Sorrow. So what's happened on Friday? Well, the weather warmed up. There might even be some rain on the horizon. It might end the line of these YouTube sensations, at least until next winter, which could be next week in Junction City. You never really know. I mean, it's it's the uh, proverbial too much time on their hands. But really, let's be honest. Isn't that what a snow day is? Absolutely. It's, it's a, you know, a veritable, you know, the two things that students look forward to most, uh, snow days and sick days. Absolutely. And of course, with sick days, which uh, both you and I took this week. They're, they're not as much fun as a snow day. No, they, they're definitely not. Um, my husband and I, well, Dan Rice and I, when the snow was falling each morning, this was Monday and Tuesday, we got up early, we turned on the local news to see which school districts and what was going to be closed. And I have a niece who teaches in the Hillsboro School District and every time, and I think they were closed on Monday and then 
two hours on Monday and then closed on Wednesday. And then closed on Wednesday. I think they had all, all, her school had all day Monday, too. But anyway, we both you know got up and cheered because we knew she'd be able to hang out with my grandniece and nephew and have good snow days. But I'm not sure that she made any kind of a Yeah, I mean, that was that was the thing. You know, I, I took the sick day on Tuesday, and uh, honestly, I, I could have taken another day to, to get better. You, know, yeah. you and I had discussed that. And then Wednesday was a um, a uh, snow day in Hillsboro where where my wife also teaches. And uh, realizing that she and my three year old would be home, I realized, especially because of the three year old, I would get more rest here. <laughs> Which, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, he did absolutely. My my daily nap from four to six. If you are looking for a, a new job, I've got a suggestion for you. A British company, which means you might have to relocate. A British company okay is hiring for a sweet job tasting chocolate. For brands including Cadbury and Oreo. Um, Mondelez International, based in England, is seeking someone to fill an opening on a 12-person panel charged with taste-testing new chocolate products from its brands. Now, how hard could that be? The chocolate tasters are charged with sharing opinions and collaborating with others to reach an agreement on taste, the company said. No experience is required, as full training would be uh, provided to develop your taste buzz. Like, who needs your taste buds for chocolate to be developed, and the specific vocabulary required to communicate your opinions, the job posting states. The part-time job pays $14 an hour, includes benefits such as life insurance, pension, and paid vacations. Due to an unexpected high number of applications for this tasty role, if you have not heard from us within 14 working days, your application has not been successful, and we recommend you visit visit our career website for more opportunities, the company says. Boy, you know, it's. Uh, I have to say, I'm pretty pretty jealous of that uh, that one. Yeah, it sounds not like... not quite as jealous though as uh, our dear friend who used to visit us annually, uh, John Harrison, the oh. uh, retired uh, official taster from Dryers. Yes, um, in the mountain of samples that he would bring us every year. Um, that was that was always my favorite day of the year. Yeah, the million dollar mouth man. He. Um... Yeah, his taste buds were insured for a million dollars. Yep, he would bring a variety of ice creams, and you'd see everybody swarm into the... We were very popular those days, and only those days. Yeah, for those few minutes that the ice cream remained. Now, this uh, this job, it has, uh, what did I read here a moment ago? They're often pretty good benefits. Um, Let's see, uh, insurance, life insurance, pension, paid vacations... Only $14 an hour. That's for a part-time um, gig. That's not bad. I don't bad. see anything here about a chair that expands to accommodate your Okay, so own I, I have to ask you a question. Yeah. A burning question comes to mind. In the post-talk show Georgine Rice world, if you could be hired to be a tester, a taste tester for anything, what would you want to be a taste tester for? That's a tough question, but it'd have to be something that involved dried-out marshmallows. Peeps. Peeps. Um, Lucky Charms. Okay. Uh, those circus peanuts. Right. I mean, I'm not sure what you would taste test. They're all exactly the same. They're always the same. But I could perhaps offer some insight into how to age them properly. Well, that's one of the things. And I, we, you know, we'd, uh, I'm trying to think if we are. I know we've talked about doing an instructional video. I'm trying to think if we've actually bothered to do it, though. You know, I don't remember either. I think we might have. I feel like we did it. Yeah. I'm going to have to look back. If not, we'll have to do that because it is coming into peep season. I know. I was in the store the other day. It's a little early. I don't, little I don't early. partake too soon, although I was tempted to buy them and then make the appropriate cuts so that they could dry properly over a longer period of time. 
And if you think we're kidding people, there is a serious science to this. Oh, there is a science there to it. There is an absolute science to this. We'll have to go back and see if we did make a video. We might need to repost that. Either we need to repost it or redo it. One of the two. We'll, we'll get on that. All right. Well, organizers, speaking of all this sugary stuff, mm-hmm. uh, organizers of a Guinness World Record attempt in Colorado said they used more than 41,000 toothbrushes to create a line 3.75 miles long. The question occurs, why? why? <laughs> That's always the question. Um. 3.7 miles long. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Um, virtual giving circles based in Loveland said a total of 41,769 toothbrushes were arranged into a line of about 60 or by about 60 volunteers at a ranch event complex in Loveland. Professional surveyors were at on hand to measure the line, which came out to 3.75 miles. The distance fell short of the group's five-mile goal, but was well over the previous record of 0.6 miles set in Australia in 2018. Organizers said they've submitted their required uh, documentation to Guinness for official recognition because who doesn't want to be recognized by Guinness? The toothbrushes, as well as 15,000 tubes of toothpaste, were then donated to a variety of local charity organizations. Handing out toothbrushes that have all been assembled on the floor of some big hall to make a point. I think I'll pass on that. I think so. Yeah. Well, an Indian state um, uh, broke a Guinness World Record uh, when it gathered 500 buses into the world's largest bus parade. Once again, the question, why? why? Uh, the Adder Pradesh, and I'm talking about the Indian state, not, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the government gathered the parade at uh, Uttar uh, Pradesh State Road Transportation Cooperation bu- uh, buses, which captured the record from the 390 bus convoy. Uh, convened in Abu Dubai. I'm not sure. Abu Dhabi. I'm thinking of Dubai where my sister and her husband are now flying home from. Well, the parade covered a distance of two miles from the uh, toll plaza to another toll plaza, the names of which I won't even attempt. Uh, Guinness officials were on site during the we- the um, Wednesday attempt to verify it, the new record. I think that's where I might want to work. I might want to work for Guinness because you end up flying all over the world or traveling all over. To make bizarre to observations. Pe- yes, people do strange things and you say yep or nope and write it down and you're done. That does seem like a, a yeah, it's perfect. Travel, always something different. Yeah. Um, you don't have to break a record. You don't have to make a record. You just show up and confirm that somebody either did or didn't. The ultimate would be if you could work for them long enough, though. To set the record for most records checked out. Oh. Getting a little meta there, but, you know, it, it's, it, could, it could work. I like it. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 34 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, portions of today's program are brought to you by Liberty Coin and currency. James Blind is uh, sitting with me in studio, at least for a little while. Uh, we're both nursing a cold, and so um, sort of the mutual pity society. How you feeling, James? You all right? That's fine. Can I fluff I'm, up I'm, your pillow? No, you doing okay? Good. I kind of feel like I'm your your, your emotional support animal today. <laughs> You're in studio. Yeah, I think in some ways you are. Well, that's nice. It's good to have. A, I just it's good to have a purpose. Hope you don't rise up and bite me in the face like that emotional support dog did at the Portland airport. Some time ago. 
or the uh, emotional support alligator we spoke about a few weeks ago on on Friday. That, that was uh, yeah. But you are an indoor pet, so I think you're. I am an indoor pet, I, so I'm mostly harmless. Speaking of harmless, which this is not, a Russian cargo ship. Now think about a cargo ship. It's huge. It has a flat um, middle because and, and everything that's elevated is on one end or the other because it has to be able to haul a lot of cargo, a lot of those um, containers, containers, right? those industrial containers. Well, this Russian cargo ship, uh, that's what it's designed like. Very long, very flat, very large. Well, the cargo ship crashed into a bi-level bridge on the coast of South Korea while its captain was... Well, inebriated, according to authorities. No injuries were caused during the bizarre crash, but sections of the uh, bridge uh, were closed for precautionary purposes. Now, you can actually go online and see this happen. There are some portions of it that are elevated slightly because they're used to move uh, cargo containers off and on the deck. But it's moving at a snail's pace. And you can tell who who is not <laughs> paying attention because it's happening in slow motion. And I'm certain people who are on the bridge are looking at this and thinking, he can't go under the bridge. What does he do? Literally runs into the bridge while uh, traffic is, is going on. Although it's unclear if the captain was the at the helm of the uh, vessel at the time of the crash, the ship was going the opposite direction of its planned course. And the captain had a blood alcohol level above the legal limit. That's according to the South Korean news. Um, the Sea Grand also reportedly hit a cruise ship moored at a nearby port an hour before the crash. So this was not their first crash. No. The uh, Korean Coast Guard said that nearly 6,000 ton cargo ship caused about a 15 foot hole in the lower portion of the bridge. 15 foot hole. Ooh. Yeah, the captain apparently ignored radio signals from Coast Guards to change course because he doesn't speak English well. So he's in South Korea. It's a Russian ship. Apparently they're speaking to him in English, which he doesn't understand well, and he's inebriated. What could possibly have gone wrong? A few things come to mind. Hmm. We were talking earlier about a position that Cadbury is offering for a, a chocolate taster. A Florida man looking to land a job at Fort Lauderdale City Hall. And this is just to encourage you to be honest on your resume. Allegedly engaged in such rampant resume padding, officials had sent his case to state authorities for possible prosecution. Former Fort Lauderdale City Treasurer um, Ash Benzo maintained the facade, the, uh, facade of a qualified employee to cash in on a $118,040 salary and employee benefits, according to the investigation. Well, he was uh, able to keep up the scheme for nearly a year before finally getting caught. So I don't know if it just took them that long to actually confirm or if he just wasn't able to do the job and that forced them to look into it. He knowingly made several materially false statements in his employment application in an effort to appear qualified for the position when he was not. That's according to the 94-page report on the investigation into the city officials' credentials. So, um, you know, if you're going for that Cadbury job, they say you don't need experience. Don't pretend you have experience. Or if you have experience, don't say that you don't. Just tell it like it is. Especially if you have a name that sounds like a character from Miami Vice. Yeah, what was this guy's name? Is it Ash Benzo? Is that what it sounded like you said? Yeah, I'm looking for it again. Well, I think that was someone else. But no, it was Ash Benzo, former Fort Lauderdale City Treasurer Ash Benzo. Yeah, that sounds like a character on like some 80s TV show like Miami <laughs> Vice or 
Magnum or something like that. Well, or that MacGyver. may have been the only thing on the application that was accurate. They didn't question the name. Everything else, however, not so much. Got to be honest on the resume. Did you see this uh, image? It's, it's pretty widely circulated now, but a Texas grandmother got to, uh, to be queen of the oceans. Well, at least for a short time. When an iceberg throne she was sitting on uh, to pose for a picture drifted off to open waters while on vacation in Iceland. So you have this elderly woman. You say grandmother. That could be anything. But this woman was elderly. I saw her a picture. And she is sitting on what looks like an ice throne. Well, it's sitting on the beach and it's you know planted there. It's fairly heavy, so you can't imagine that anything would lift it. But Judith Strang and her son were traveling to Iceland recently when they stopped at Diamond Beach, and uh, they got a great photo op on what looked like a throne straight out of Disney's Frozen. It was shaped like an easy place to sit. You can tell uh, by looking at the, uh, the shape of it. And she thought, well, it looks like fun. She went over. She sat on it. She's posing for a picture. This is an elderly selfie, if you will. Um, she added a very large wave came in and kind of made the throne rock. And she could tell that she was slipping off. Well, uh, she lost her kingdom when she drifted out to sea, um, according to uh, people who were there. Fortunately, there was someone nearby who actually knew how to engage in that kind of rescue and was able to rescue her from what could have been a very tragic scene. Now, the the 77-year-old from Flower Mount, Texas, told ABC News that she thought she was uh, safe when she sat down and that she had uh, seen several people sit on it before her, so she thought she would try. She doesn't weigh very much, so it was a little easier to float off. Uh, A bystander who happened to uh, be a boat captain trained in water rescue quickly helped to bring the grandmother back to shore. Yeah, I think the... um, the, the 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 thing about this is it kind of reminds me of those pictures that you see from time to time of the uh, of the polar bears or the at the, at the North Pole that have uh, floating, bro- on, a floating on a floating on a piece of ice. Um, I you know it just kind of reminds me of that. It's kind of uh, I'm glad it has a happy ending because you can laugh about it because it, yeah, you could very easily could have not have very tragic. And you know the the polar bear actually has a layer of fur, fur and blubber. Uh, he can jump off that thing and swim away, but Grandma. 77? I wouldn't recommend it. Not so much. Let's see. Seven firefighters had to help rescue a giant rat after it got stuck in a manhole cover yesterday. In fact, that very rat, the image of it, uh, you can find on the Georgie and Rice Show Facebook page. That's our cover photo for the day. The monster rodent, monster rodent, uh, weighing in over um, one and a half pounds, was discovered crying for help uh, in the uh, business district. Families um, desperately tried to free the rat, but it had to become firmly wedged in a bid to escape the, um, I'm not sure what it was escaping, but firefighters were eventually called and took just three minutes to rescue the hapless creature. This is in Germany. They tried to free the animal themselves. They took uh, leather working gloves and tried to carefully twist the hole. Didn't work. It was terrified. It screamed terribly and actually bit into the gloves. Um, they found the rat whimpering on a busy street and, uh, you know, they did what they could, but it took the professionals to actually get the thing out. Uh, I'm not sure what I would have done, maybe called for help, but uh, and by the way, once they freed it, it immediately dashed back into the sewers where it was uh, happy and felt comfortable. That definitely looks like an unhappy rat. Yeah, the expression on its face is rather desperate, I have to say. 
Well, uh, when Pensacola police officers couldn't get Evan Charles McLemore to end a standoff on Tuesday, they called in the SWAT team. Now, that's pretty serious stuff when you've got uh, guys who are dressed to the hilt carrying rather large weapons. Well, when they failed, negotiators turned to an unconventional approach. They offered him a slice of hungry Howie's pizza and it was over. He left the room that he'd been he had barricaded himself in for about four hours, was taken into custody without incident. Uh, never underestimate the power of pizza with flavored crust. Yes, it's true. We ended a standoff with a barricaded suspect by delivering him a pizza. The police said in their post on the department's Facebook page, we cannot comment on the rumors about pineapple being on said pizza. So we don't know if that was the case or not. Police got a report of a possible battery at 10 a.m. Tuesday. Uh, officers tried to uh, get him out, but he reportedly told them that he had a gun to his head and wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to go back to prison. He was arrested for um, resisting an officer without violence. Investigators also learned that he had an outstanding warrant for aggravated stalking. So it was a pretty serious situation and a pretty serious guy. But that pizza was enough for him to change his mind about going back to prison and uh, ending a standoff with law enforcement. And apparently they only got about average about a three-star rating on, on Yelp, so may, maybe they could have solved it faster with a higher-rated pizza. <laughs> yeah, that one might have been close. I don't know if that's the one he requested or what the what the story was, but wow, what a way to There's end not a, a lot standoff. of things I won't stop for a slice of pizza, so, you know, <laughs> I get them. 45 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show Podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 49 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is with me in studio at least for a few more moments. Perhaps, yes. Before we bid you adieu. There's a kid in uh, Texas, a teenager. He was nearly killed while he was trying to snap, you guessed it, a perfect selfie on top of a bridge in Dallas. Um, has a simple message now, no photo is worth it. Well, Tristan Bailey was reportedly with a group of friends, headed home from a Dallas Stars game on the 12th of November when the group decided, hey, let's pull over for a selfie on the Margaret Dermont Bridge along Interstate 30, hoping to get the perfect shot of the city skyline behind them. Well, to do that, you have to, you know, kind of elevate yourself. You can Imagine I was going over the concrete barrier and they um, heard me exclaim uh, they thought I was joking and that I was trying to mess with them that I'd fallen. The 18 year old said, but then they said they looked over and well, just like the movies, I'm just laid out on the dirt below. I'm not sure how far he fell, but it was enough to cause some pretty serious injury instead of getting a photo that uh, garnered. The likes of um, Instagram attention, Bailey ended up in the emergency room at Methodist Medical Center in Dallas, where doctors said they were stunned his injuries weren't more severe. This is inexplicable, said one doctor, the chief trauma uh, physician at uh, Methodist Medical. He's bruised both lungs. He had a collapsed lung. He had multiple lacerations of his spleen, and he had a pelvic fracture. Doctors who treated the 18-year-old said his injuries and recovery were miraculous. So this was an unusual um, recovery. Uh, one more turn or one more twist. It's amazing he didn't snap his neck. It's amazing he's not a paraplegic or broke his back. Um, he could have hit a stone in the middle of his uh, of the field and fractured his skull and not been here at all. This is a constellation of miraculous little events that occurred. Well, the 18-year-old shared his story with local media for the first time. 
uh, during his first visit to the bridge since November. I probably would never have gone back. Uh, but he's still undergoing physical therapy twice a week. His, uh, he plans to join the Air Force there, um, now those plans are on hold, given his uh, the level of his injuries. But while his phone survived the tumble from the bridge, Bailey nearly didn't, being more cautious and thinking about safety instead of selfies, he says. Uh, if I see another person on I-30 about to take a picture, I just stop on the side like, hey, it's not a good idea. And, you know, for so many of them, it's not a good idea. And I see so many images of people doing these incredibly risky things. Uh, if you were to slip, there's no way you could survive. I mean, he survived his injuries. Some of these falls would not have resulted in survival. And, you know, a lot of them don't. But good advice from a kid who had to uh, figure it out the hard way. Now uh, you, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, I was to say that uh, people will really go the extra mile to, to take a selfie, and it's not always advisable. No, it's not always advisable. I'll just leave it at that. Well, two minor league players are causing some major league confusion because of their names, their looks, and, well, everything else. So you brought this story to me. These are Brady boys. Both have red hair. They sport red beards. They favor um, thick glasses, according to Inside Edition. Uh, even stranger, both of them underwent Tommy John surgery and used the same doctor. They had pictures uh, displayed, and, yeah, there's definitely a resemblance. Well, despite the similarities, the... Um, uh, they don't believe they're uh, long-lost twins separated at birth or even related at all. However, Inside Edition decided to uh, let science make the final call and got both Bradys uh, to um, take DNA tests. Well, it turns out they had one big similarity. The Feigls, that's apparently the last name, shared the same amount of Germanic ancestry, about 53%. No shared DNA means they aren't actually related to each other, however. They just share a very similar... Close background. And I think, if I remember right from the story um, uh, originally, I don't think it's in that particular one, that despite the fact they look like they're almost identical twins, they're like five years apart. Oh, I didn't know that. One is five years older than the other. Now, I hadn't caught that, that they were that far apart in age. I'm not sure if that article, it may have been a different article I'd seen about it. Because it's been been an anomaly for a little while now Mm -hmm. that... that, uh, People have noticed and uh, just the, you know, the resurfaced with the DNA test. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I wonder if you and I might somehow be related. Some and circuitous DNA you, route. It's always possible people do confuse us all the time. Yeah, that's possible. Not. Oh, not really. No, there's no way. Even that, close. No, no not, not, not so much. Well, humans could get the power to see in the dark after mice were injected with uh, nanoparticles, which gave them the ability to see infrared light. The rodents were given infrared night vision for 10 weeks after the injection, while only minor side effects in an experiment conducted by Chinese and U.S. scientists. Uh, Nanoparticles inserted into the eye of mice boosted their vision beyond the normal range of colors they can detect and enabled the rodents to see infrared. I wouldn't be willing to sacrifice the possibility um, or suffer the possibility of losing my vision for the sake of, you know, this providing a a limited amount of time of vision. The lead researchers said the applications include military use and could be adapted to treat people who are colorblind and can't detect red. We believe this technology will also work in human eyes, not only for generating supervision, but also for therapeutic solutions in human red color vision deficits. This is an exciting subject because the technology uh, we made 
possible here could eventually enable human beings to see beyond our natural capabilities. Now, think about that for a moment. That could be exciting if, in fact, it's developed safely. You, you, I'll lifetime. admit, you kind of lost me at injecting into the eye. Yeah. I'm, That's where you lost me on, on any interest I had in this. The research was published in Cell. Uh, it's a magazine. Um, and they make the point that the nanoparticles in mice, which, like humans, cannot see infrared naturally, uh, proved to be successful. The researchers made nanoparticles that could anchor tightly to photoreceptors, uh, cells in the eye, and act as tiny infrared-like transducers. So I wonder if Clark would do something like that. He's sort of superhuman as it is, so adding that extra vision might be too much. We did have a, uh, a person on staff at one point that referred to Clark uh, when he used to work mornings. He'd do so without the lights on as Clark in the dark. And so I wonder, uh, yeah, that, uh, that may be something that would appeal, Clark. Yeah, we might want to submit his name for the technology once it's made available. Well, some areas of Australia will soon... Um, Showed, allow drivers, rather, to add emojis to their license plates, as if we need something else oh. to be distracted. How do you uh, report that to the police? <laughs> some areas will soon allow them to unleash their inner creativity on their license plates with the use of emojis. Uh, in fact, on March the 1st, the Queensland Department of Transportation and Main Roads uh, launched their emoji plates uh, to drivers for $475 uh, for orders. Drivers can... Customize their vanity plates online through Personalized Plates Queensland, which is offering five different designs, including wink emoji, smile emoji, um, heart eyes emoji, and a couple others, I guess. Uh, The plates have to include three letters and two numbers and are offered in standard or streamlined sizes. Uh, The department also offers personalized license plates for business owners who can design their plates with their business logo. Now, the thing that's interesting to me is, I mean, you pick one and that's what you always have, or you can somehow change it. What's the point of this whole thing? I guess one for your forever mood, I guess. I I have this man calling the police saying, uh, there's a car in front of me driving uh, erratically, license plate 123ABSmiley. (laughs) It just doesn't sound right. $475. Yeah, I'll I'll get the blazer plates instead. Huh. Yeah, not not going for that. This is breaking news. The Leaning Tower of Pisa may have to change its name. It's not leaning as it once did. I heard about this. What do you it's, do? it's it's de-leaning somewhat. After more than 2 decades of efforts to straighten it, engineers say the famed Tuscan Bell Tower has recovered 1.57 inches more and is in better structural health than predicted. I, I remember, uh, it wasn't that long ago, they were saying it might self-destruct because it would just continue to lean and pretty soon it would uh, the weight of the top end would dislodge the foundation, but apparently not so much. Oh, it's working backwards. That's it. I mean, it's required some effort on their part, but they've recovered 1.57 inches, which apparently is enough to make it something other than the leaning Tower of Pisa. The teetering Tower of Pisa? I mean, what would that be? I mean, the slightly less... Slightly off Tower The slightly of Pisa. perpendicular... No, that's not right. Um, I'm sure they'll come up with something. The slightly askew. There we go. <laughs> the slightly askew Tower of Pisa. That might be worth going I could to see, see that on a t-shirt. <laughs> I'd buy that t-shirt. Yeah, you would. And you'd I wear would. it in the office and it would puzzle me and 
which is pretty much every, is it every day or is there a certain day that you wear these odd shirts? Usually Fridays. It's usually Fridays and they're just odd. I, I literally have to stop him and request an uh, explanation because they're just peculiar. Well, peculiar to you. Yes. But that I, I kind of expect that at this point. <laughs> yeah, but you have to admit they're just. Some of them are out yeah, there. there you Some go. of them are out there. So if you're out there, then you would get them, but I'm in here, so. That's true. Yeah. All right, we're going to take a break here for news and traffic in just a moment. When we come back, we're going to take a brief look at some of the serious news, the headlines of the day, and then we'll return to some fun Friday fair. I guess this is adieu to you. Absolutely. You're heading out for the weekend? I am indeed. All right. Well, thanks for uh, joining us for the first hour. Absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for letting me hang out and make it look like I'm working on my last hour of the week. <laughs> yeah. News and traffic up next. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after five o'clock is our time. Today is our fun Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. And while we've been looking at the lighter side of the news and we'll return to that, I did want to at least share some of the day's headlines to keep you up to date. Well, the president says he still sees a North Korea deal somewhere down the line. In an exclusive interview with Fox News, Sean Hannity, following the end of his summit, which was rather abrupt with North Korean leader Kim Jong-un, the president said he remains hopeful that a denuclearization deal will eventually be made with the rogue nation. He's a different kind of guy, he said. And I just said, look, this isn't uh, this isn't going to be working. Uh, I have a feeling something down the line will happen and it'll happen. It'll be good. And while the end quote. While the president sought a complete denuclearization of the Vietnam summit, North Korea wanted only to denuke certain areas, the president explained, adding that he was reluctant to ease sanctions. Still, the president said Kim has promised not to resume testing nuclear missiles, and he believes the Vietnam summit was productive. I'm not sure how it was productive, but I think we had a very good two days, but I just don't think maybe either of us were ready. Well, the United States and the rest of the world has been ready for quite some time, and there were um, very clear indications from North Korea that they were not prepared to give up all of their nuclear weapons. So one wonders about the preparation. Testimony this week by former Trump personal attorney Michael Cohen was um, has uh, undermined Democrats' longstanding claims that President Trump's team colluded with Russia during the 2016 presidential campaign. In his opening ceremony on, uh, uh, rather, commentary, um, Tucker Carlson made the point that uh, in Cohen's Wednesday appearance before the House Oversight and Reform Committee, he told members of the House panel he's never been to the Czech Republic, a key allegation in the Russian collusion narrative, um, that uh, Cohen said he had no reason to believe a rumored salacious videotape of the president uh, even exists. Uh, he said he saw no evidence of collusion between the president and uh, Russia, and uh, he said that Trump never directed him to lie to Congress. Now, interestingly, interestingly enough, depending on which side of the uh, argument you're on, if you're a Republican, you are arguing that his credibility does not exist, which would extend to everything he said. On the other hand, Democrats want to extend credibility on some of the things that he said um, and not believe it to be true here. So I'm not sure what all of that produced that was very constructive, but... 
There you have it. Meanwhile, Maxine Waters is calling for the Trump Foundation to be probed with the uh, dust still settling in the Michael Cohen explosive public testimony on Wednesday. Uh, Republican, rather, rather, Representative Maxine Waters on Thursday called for a full investigation into the Trump Foundation, the president's former nonprofit organization, which she asserted was a front for tax evasion and other illicit transactions. There's one thing that I think should not be missed that came out of the hearings, if you believe them or don't, Waters said. Uh, she's the head of the House Financial Services Committee, and that is how Trump directed payments into the foundation to keep from paying taxes. The Washington Post reported following Cohen's testimony on Wednesday, House Oversight Committee Republicans on Thursday referred the ex-Trump attorney to the Justice Department for alleged perjury, claiming he lied during sworn testimony before the panel about a number of issues. Well, it may be more proof that Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez isn't the darling of all Democrats in New York. Governor Andrew Cuomo has reportedly penned a full-page letter to Amazon founder Jeff Bezos as he clings to hope that he can uh, salvage the uh, tech giant's uh, relocation and lure it to New York City, where it recently scrapped plans to build a second headquarters campus, a report said Thursday. The open letter signed in support by more than 70 unions and politicians, including former Mayor David Dinkins, urged Bezos and Amazon executives to reconsider its decision to pull out of the project in New York. The uh, letter paid for by the Partnership for New York City was set to appear today in the edition of The Times. Amazon's pullout followed a campaign by Ocasio-Cortez and others, other progressives against the plan, which they argued was a massive tax break for a large corporation and could drive less affluent residents out of the city neighborhoods. Top White House uh, economic advisor Larry Kudlow said on Thursday, uh, imploring conservative activists not to stand idly by with the rise of socialism on the left. I want you to put socialism on trial, he said during a speech at the annual Conservative Political Action Conference or CPAC outside Washington. I don't want us to stand by idly. I don't want to let this stuff fester. I want it challenged. I want it debated. I want it rebutted. And I want to convict socialism. Kudlow also slammed Democrats' embrace of the Green New Deal and Medicare for All. Andrew Wheeler will be the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency after the Senate voted to confirm him in a mostly party line, 52-47 vote on Thursday, seven months after his predecessor, Scott Pruitt, resigned. Republican Senator Susan Collins was the only Republican to vote against Wheeler. And Senator Bernie Sanders' new deputy national security um, national press secretary, rather, likely won't be eligible to vote in the 2020 election due to what she says is her status as an undocumented immigrant. The hiring of Belen Siza, an Arizona leftist activist, was announced on Wednesday evening. Siza, who says she was brought to this country illegally from Argentina by her parents at age six, is currently protected from deportation under President Obama's Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA, program. Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced today that he's running for president, saying he'll establish um, uh, his campaign shortly. He'll emphasize attempts to combat climate change during his bid for the Democratic nomination. But it's far from clear that voters will make the environmental, the environment rather, a priority on Election Day. Inslee lost a 2018 ballot initiative in his home state that would have imposed the nation's first carbon fee on large polluters. Israel's attorney general announced on Thursday he intends to indict 
Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu on corruption charges, a decision coming just six weeks before a closely contested national election. It was the first time a serving Israeli prime minister has been put on official notice of planned prosecution and deepened uncertainty over how uh, Netanyahu will fare against a coalition of centrist rivals. Uh, Let's see here. On this day in 1974, seven people, including former Nixon White House aide H.R. Haldeman and John uh, D. Ehrlichman, former Attorney General John Mitchell and former Assistant Attorney General Robert uh, Mardian, are indicted on charges of conspiring to obstruct justice in connection with the Watergate break-in. I remember it back in 1974. And on this day in 1961, President John F. Kennedy signs an executive order establishing the Peace Corps. And on this day in 1932, Charles Lindbergh, the 20-month, uh, uh, I should say Charles Lindbergh Jr., the 20-month-old son of Charles and Ann Lindbergh, is kidnapped from the family home in Hopewell, New Jersey. Remains identified as those of the child would be found the following May. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 19 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, Oregon lost two Republican political luminaries. Norma Paulus, the pioneering Oregon woman politician and former Secretary of State, died yesterday at 85. She uh, was an Oregon Republican, first a woman elected to statewide office. Uh, she um, was a member of the legislature and Oregon Secretary of State from 77 to 85. Her party's nominee for governor in 1986 and the state's elected superintendent of schools for two terms in the 90s. She passed away yesterday at 85. And then, of course, we lost our current secretary of state, a Republican, um, Dennis Richardson, earlier this week as well. Well, a state funeral will be held for Dennis Richardson, the uh, secretary of state at the state capitol next week. The service for Richardson, who died this week of brain cancer, will be held in the House of Representatives chamber at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. There is overflow seating available in the Senate chamber and committee rooms. His body will lie in the Capitol Rotunda beginning at 9 a.m. The public is invited to pay their respects. Richardson, who was 69, was the first Republican elected to Secretary of State's role in three decades. All right. Today is uh, Friday, and we typically... Focus our attention on the lighter side of the news, and so we'll continue to do that for the remainder of the program. Well, in what reads as a desperate move, Gap is spinning off the best parts of its business, Old Navy. Um, the uh, market-like news, sending shares soaring 25% in pre-market trading. Well, the remaining company, which still needs a name, will consist of the namesake Gap brand, um, Aletha and Banana Republic, Plus a couple of lesser known brands, it's going to have annual revenue of about $9 billion compared to Old Navy's $8 billion, the company said. And that's those three combined. Analysts call the split a smart one and one of the struggling parent company should have considered a long time ago. It's absolutely long overdue, they say. So we're seeing another large corporation, in this case, split into smaller versions of itself. In other cases, simply go away altogether, Gap being the latest. Again, there will be a... a namesake Gap brand, um, Aletta or Athleta and Banana Republic. And then, of course, Old Navy will be will stand out on its own. Well, a Florida man landed a one hundred and eighteen thousand dollar a month salary as the city's treasurer with a fake resume 
and managed to hold on to it for a full year before being identified. The name apparently was um, should have been something of a um, a red flag, but he wasn't flagged until a year into it. This was in December of 2017 when he resigned in lieu of termination. He was allowed to do that nearly 12 months after he was hired for the full-time position. And this was a uh, position in city government, so it's interesting that it took that long for them to discover that they had an imposter among them, but eventually did. It's not clear if that was because he was unable to do his work or if they simply did the background check and determined that he was not all that he had claimed to be. Well, we're being told that the drive through window is often considered the most harrowing assignment inside a fast food restaurant. Not the person who's ordering, but the person taking the order. A nonstop whirlwind of multitasking. The gig involves organizing multiple orders. And of course, those systems don't always give you a very clear understanding of what's being said at one end or the other. Communicating with the kitchen, counting money, negotiating with an endless stream of customers who range from polite and coherent to angry and inebriated all for a minimum wage reward. Well, if that uh, juggling act wasn't hard enough, a giant timer hangs in many drive through uh, kitchens, adding urgency to each task. Former workers complain that this is a pretty tough gig. And though the drive through um, uh, gauntlet has broken many a fast food worker, the newest employee at Good Times Burgers and Frozen Custard in Denver will not be feeling the heat anytime soon. That's because she's an artificially intelligent voice assistant, emotion-free, immune to stress, with the ability to operate a drive through window without fatigue, bathroom breaks, or compensation. Now, it sounds like a great plan, unless you're looking for a job. She fills a classically American job nearly a century in the making, a rite of passage for generations of teenagers who could be in the very early stages of a mass extinction. But first... Uh, The CEO and founder of Valiant AI, artificial intelligence, an artificial intelligence company that designed the customer service platform, will have to prove that his model works as well as he says it does. The AI assistant has endured months of testing, but officially began handling the restaurant's breakfast orders at last week. Well, if the fledgling assistant runs into any technical problems, the transaction is handed off to a human employee inside the restaurant. The system takes a lot of friction out of the interactions between customers and employees. Carpenter said, uh, noting that AI was designed to sound like an um, amiable woman's voice. The AI never gets offended and it will uh, just keep talking to you in a very calm and friendly voice. Now, it's uh, I wonder whether or not you can tell you are speaking to a non-animated human. Uh, There's an immediate benefit for employees as well. Carpenter maintains, unless, of course, your job was manning that window. Over the course of an eight-hour shift, they don't have to repeat the same welcome language hundreds of times. Intelligent, interactive machines, once the stuff of science fiction movies and futuristic fantasy, they're quickly becoming a reality, especially in the fast food dining world, where repetition rules and Improvisation is limited. Well, in restaurants around the globe, machines are already taking orders, flipping burgers, preparing pizzas, pouring stiff drinks, and cooking entire meals in full view of hungry customers. It's something of a novelty, but that will probably one day wear off. Fast food restaurants like Starbucks, Wendy's, Panera, McDonald's encourage customers to order using self-service kiosks or a mobile app. But Valiant AI appears to be one of the first companies to create a platform for taking orders via an interactive AI voice assistant, one who also happens to be the first company representative many customers will encounter. 
Now, Carpenter said the assistant's uh, conversational cadence, which sounds like a more fluid version of Amazon's Alexa, so it does sound a little bit mechanical, was designed to replicate human interactions with limited pauses and a menu-based script that varies depending on the exchange. In a video demonstrating this assistant, a woman's voice can be heard saying, Hi, I'm your automated order taker. Take your time. Order when you're ready. When the man in the video asks the, um, uh, for the breakfast burrito, the robot describes two different types and burritos um, and asks which one he would like. Well, after discussing specific details of the order, asking whether he wants a drink or a combo meal, the voice assistant confirms the order one last time, very much like you would expect if someone alive was standing at the other end of that technology. Thank you. Please pull forward to the window, the voice said, concluding the interaction. Well, other companies are pitching similar technology to McDonald's and Taco Bell. You might recall a report we did just a short time ago in which the kiosk in which people were taking orders or making their orders uh, was covered in all kinds of bacterial things you don't even want to think about, especially in the context of eating. Um, they're also looking at several uh, banks, according to TechCrunch, uh, for the use of AI. Well, the technology arrives at a time that fast food customers are seeking even more quickness and convenience, Carpenter says. He pointed to a recent study by QSR magazine that found that 70% of fast food restaurant sales now occur at the drive through window a number that's led to an increase in traffic and waiting times for food. Well, customers waited on an average of 234 seconds for their burger and fries in 2018, compared with about 225 seconds the year before, according to QSR. Wendy holds the record for the shortest wait time, a blazing 116 seconds, which was set in 2003, the magazine reported, and that, of course, was a long time ago. With more vehicles creating drive through into uh, traffic jams, Carpenter, the, again, the designer of the AI, said his company's voice assistant was designed to increase the speed of service. Now, the AI can only do so much. She or he can take the order, but he or she cannot actually fill the order. So wait times, hmm, I don't know if this is going to have that much of an impact. Well, instead of one employee managing multiple drive through lanes, which is often the case, he says employees can focus on preparing food and processing payment. Maybe that will help. Longer lines mean potential customers will look for another restaurant. Initial tests, which started last week, showed about a 25% reduction in order time. Now there's ordering, then there's getting the food. Uh, Carpenter says with more efficiency comes more profitability, and with more profitability comes uh, more locations and jobs. He remains adamant his robotic worker will not cost people their jobs. We'll see if that will be the case. It's really designed to be a helper for employees. The two weeks ago, uh, we had a blizzard in, uh, in Denver, and one employee couldn't make it, but the employees were able to turn on the AI system so they weren't falling behind. So there's one example of when it might actually be a great idea for everybody working in the building, or should I say, still working in the building. So don't be surprised if sometime soon you hear a voice that doesn't quite sound, well, natural, and you learn that you're actually speaking to artificial intelligence taking your order. We'll see how that goes. We're going to take a break here. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Uh, This is our fun Friday, so we try to take a look at the lighter side of the news, and we are winding our way through some of that Uh, Right now, when we come back, we're going to talk about MIT researchers that can shrink objects to nanoscale. Huh, the stuff of science fiction being performed before our very eyes. 29 minutes after five o'clock, we'll be back. 
You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back 35 minutes after 5 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show on a fun Friday afternoon. Well, MIT engineers apparently have devised a way to create 3D nanoscale objects by patterning a larger structure with a laser and then shrinking it. MIT researchers invented this method for shrinking objects. The team can generate structures one thousandth the volume of the original using a variety of materials, including metals, quantum dots, and DNA. Now, this is fascinating to me because it's difficult to even wrap my head around what it is they're doing. Uh, Existing techniques like etching patterns onto a surface with light uh, work for 2D nanostructures, but not 3D. And while it's possible to make 3D nanostructures, the process is slow, it's challenging, and it's restrictive. So MIT professor... Edward Boyden, he came up with a solution. By reversing a process for imaging brain tissue, he was able to pare down a relatively large object into something one thousandth its original size, a process called implosion fabrication. Now say that with me, implosion fabrication. Well, using equipment uh, many biology and material science labs already have, these researchers started by creating a scaffold out of um, poly... Acrylate, it's commonly found in diapers, by the way. Uh, Then they soaked the frame in a solution of some kind of molecules, which attach when activated by laser light. It's a bit like film photography, according to the co-author of the report, Daniel Oren of MIT. He's a graduate student. A latent image is formed by exposing a sensitive material in a gel to light. Then you can develop that latent image into a real image by attaching another material, silver, afterwards, he explains. In this way, implosion fabrication can create all sorts of structures, including gradients, unconnected structures, and multi-material patterns. I'm going to cough here, so give me just a second. I'd like to say thank you to the cough button, which spares you all. Once everything is in place, researchers douse the object with an acid blocking negative charges with the polyacrylate, and they force it to shrink. Now, again, this is all science fiction movie to me, but people have been trying to invent better equipment to make smaller nanomaterials for years. They realized that if they just used existing systems and embedded their material in this gel, you can shrink. Remember the shrinky dink? We used to have these little ovens you put things in, and it would be kind of a flat thing, and you'd shrink it down. Well, in my mind, that's what they're doing. My guess is it's a little more, it's slightly more complex than that, but um, they've been working on this for many, many years. So they put the materials in the gel. You can shrink them down to a nanoscale without distorting the patterns. Now, that's the thing is not distorting the patterns. You might recall with the shrinky dink, you could watch it kind of shrivel up and eventually it would be shaped like the thing that you were expecting, but it wasn't uniform and it was a little off. Never in the commercials. In the commercials, they always ended up uniform, perfect, and that's what you sort of expected. It never really happened when you did it at home. But apparently this technology allows you to do the shrinky-dink, and uh, it comes out just the way you imagine. The system, however, isn't entirely perfect. There's a trade-off between size and resolution. Researchers can currently create objects about one cubic milliliter, millimeter rather patterned with a resolution of 50 nanometers okay um not quite the ant-man suit um which if you're familiar with the film 
would get. The system could have applications in a number of fields, however, from optics to medicine to robotics. So there are all kinds of things that you can do with this, uh, says the chief um, uh, reporter. Um, Democratizing nanofabrication could open up frontiers we can't yet imagine. So kind of an interesting capacity they have to, not perfectly, but to reduce things in uh, some specificity that makes it extremely useful. And there is a humongous fungus among us. It's been around since the birth of Socrates, we're being told. This humongous fungus lurking underground in Michigan is exceptionally old, tremendously heavy, and has a curiously low mutation rate, according to a new study. Now, here are the uh, fungus impressive stats. It's at least 2,500 years old, although it's likely much older, weighs nearly 882,000 pounds, and spans about 75 hectares or 0.75 square kilometers or 140 American football fields, 140 of them. As for its mutation rate or the rate at which random genetic tweaks occur, it's fleetingly low, said the study's uh, co-principal investigator, a professor emeritus of plant sciences at the University of Missouri. We think that this slow mutation rate is perhaps key to this genetic stability of this humongous fungus. And they always refer to it using both words and may even be a key reason for its great longevity. Now, what can we learn from that? Well, he first came across the absolute unit, this fungus, in the late 1980s when he was doing an unrelated experiment in the forest of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. He roped in two more fungal experts, James Anderson, now at the University of Toronto, and Myron Smith, now from um, uh, Carleton University in Ottawa, Canada, who are also co-principal investigators of this new study. The giant fungus stunned the researchers, who initially vastly underestimated its age and its size. Back then, they thought the fungus was about 1,500 years old and about 220,000 pounds, which would have been impressive still, and about 37 hectares, according to their 1992 study published in the the, uh, journal Nature. Well, at the time, the public went bonkers over the giant fungus, which is also known as the honey mushroom. Late night uh, comedian David Letterman, who was still around at that time, made a top 10 list about it. Johnny Carson cracked jokes and a New York City restaurant even called it, uh, rather called to see if it could uh, purchase fungus to serve on its dinner menu. Well, they declined the restaurant's request, but noted that well-cooked honey mushrooms are edible, although eating too many could give you a stomach ache. Of course, that's true of eating too much of almost anything. They need to be cooked thoroughly, and they should not be eaten in excess. But I've enjoyed them in homemade pizzas. Well, that aside, now nearly 30 years later, the scientists' latest experiments reveal the true immensity of this um, A. gallica, as it's called. Despite its size, the fungus is largely underground. It's hidden from view. The fungus uses some of the um, energy it uh, obtains from decaying uh, wood uh, as its food base to grow branching tendrils known as rhizomorphs. Uh, which travel through the forest floor in search of their next meal. So the thing has been spreading for many, 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 many years. From 2015 to 2017, the scientists uh, revisited the humongous fungus, took 245 samples so that they could uh, run a whole genome sequence on the genetic material. They estimate its age is 2,500 years by analyzing the fungus growth rate. However, this particular A. gallica, 
uh, could be even older because there are other uh, species in the area which may have um, hindered Agalica's growth. So it may have been stunted, uh, but have been present for some time earlier. It's something of a mystery why this particular fungus uh, has such a low mutation rate, but they're studying it, and it's a rather interesting thought that beneath the forest floor, there's stuff going on that no one was aware of that was about 2,500 years old and um, about the size of 140, 140 American football fields. Wow. Well, Canadian astronomers have reportedly discovered a repetitive radio signal some 2.5 billion light years away from Earth. Only the second example known to mankind will a telescope in British Columbia, otherwise known as Canadian Hydrogen Intensity Mapping Experiment, or CHIME, detected 13 pulses or fast radio bursts in July and August, according to a Monday report from Nature. The findings were announced um, as astronomers at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver at a meeting of the American Astronomical Society in Washington. Uh, look, we see FRBs, uh, they say, of the cosmic flashes, which remain a mystery to astronomers before they uh, were spotted over the summer. Astronomers reportedly found between 50 and 60 examples of radio bursts. Uh, the Chime Telescope found, as uh, phrased by Nature.com, the second known FRB that uh, repeats, meaning that the radio flashes uh, reappear at the same point in the sky. The first FRB that repeats, uh, repeated rather, uh, were detected in 2012. The majority of the FRBs discovered by the telescope showed signs of scattering. Now, what all this means is something of a mystery to most of us. That could mean in some sort of dense uh, clump that a supernova uh, remnant is being detected. So they're trying to determine the, the reason for this. And no, they don't expect that it's being, it's, ha, it's been sent some light years uh, from today from someplace uh, deliberately targeting whomever might be out in the universe or the multiverse. But uh, nonetheless, a rather interesting discovery out there. Now, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to wrap things up. We'll also let you know what's coming up next week on the program. We have some interesting guests and we'll be back you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq well welcome back you're listening to the final segment of the georgine rice show well this week oregon lost two political luminaries both republican although quite different and served in different eras there uh, was the death of course of norma paulus she was a pioneering oregon woman politician former secretary of state she died yesterday at 85 uh, Paulus was a member of the legislature, Oregon Secretary of State, from 77 to 85. Uh, her party's nominee for governor in 1986 and the state's elected superintendent of schools for two terms in the 1990s. Uh, she died uh, yesterday at 85. And, of course, Dennis Richardson passed away, Oregon's current Secretary of State. Uh, there's going to be a state funeral held at the uh, Capitol next week, the service for uh, uh, Secretary Richardson, who died this week of brain cancer, will be held in the House of Representatives chamber at 2 p.m. on Wednesday. There is overflow seating available in the Senate chamber and committee rooms. His body will lie in the Capitol Rotunda beginning at 9 a.m. And the public is invited to pay their respects. I don't know when is the last time we had anything like that here in the state of Oregon. But anyway, Richardson, who was 69, was the first Republican elected to Secretary of State in three decades and uh, rather interesting that within days, um, one of the other secretaries of state who was uh, Republicans also passed away 
uh, Norma Paulus. Anyway, that's coming up on Wednesday. If you're interested in attending, the public is welcome. Taking a look at what's coming up next week on the program, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Joel Rosenberg. We don't generally uh, talk about novels here, but he's written a new one, and he's having an uncanny knack of reflecting not only what's happening at the, at the moment, but what's um, likely to happen moving forward. The latest novel by Joel Rosenberg is The Persian Gamble, and he'll join me on Monday to talk about that book. We'll also talk about Netanyahu and a lot of other things, as you might recall, he's very well connected with world leaders and may have some interesting insight into the battle that Netanyahu is now has now found himself in just months before, actually two months now, maybe even less, uh, the election in Israel. So we'll talk with Joel Rosenberg about his latest novel, The Persian Gamble, here on Monday. Then on Tuesday, Clarence Schuler, Dr. Schuler, is the author of Choose Greatness, 11 Wise Decisions That Brave Young Men Make. And it's a rather interesting uh, challenge for young men to think seriously about uh, their future in a way that um, will be helpful to them moving forward. So Dr. Clarence Schuler will be my guest uh, to discuss his book. On Wednesday, we'll talk with Jason Bentham. He's a co-author, along with his twin brother, Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. You might recall the Benthams uh, made headlines some months ago, maybe years ago now, but they were... Um, candidates for a program on HGTV. Then it was learned that they were conservative Christians, and it wasn't so much the network, according to the Bentham brothers, but it was um, others outside the network who insisted that they should not be given a show. Anyway, they have written a book. It's not about that, uh, but they're going to talk, or he's going to talk with us about Bold and Broken, Becoming the Bridge Between Heaven and Earth. On Thursday, John Barry will be my guest. Jesus Economy, a biblical view of poverty, the currency of love, and the pattern of lasting change. So I'm looking forward to uh, talking with John Barry about his work on uh, that subject and looking at what the scriptures have to say about the economy from Jesus' perspective. That will be on Thursday. And then on Friday, as is typically the case, we'll um, lighten up and take a look at the lighter side of the news. So that's our um, our plan for uh, next week. Uh, as you know, um, Ignite is coming up this Saturday. That's tomorrow. You can still register and attend the event. They recommend you arrive at 815. It's a Greater Portland Bible Church. It's an all-day event, great worship, uh, time for praying, uh, great uh, teaching, and so on. Karen Howells is the uh, the speaker this year, and the, the Igniting the Wonder is the subject. So if you are looking for something to do on Saturday, let me encourage you to make your way to Greater Portland Bible Church. Registration begins, I believe, at about 8. They recommend you be there about 8.15. That puts you in time for the opening with worship at 8.55. We'll wrap things up by 4.15. You can also learn more about the conference at kpdq.com. For example, there are two opportunities to attend workshops, and if you'd like to see what the options are and select where you'd like to go, you can check all of that information out, also location and, uh, and much more. So that's coming up on Saturday. I want to remind you that there is an opportunity to purchase your tickets now for the first ever Gospel Sing Live, hosted by KPDQ, celebrating 50 years of Southern Gospel music and the Gospel Sing. That's going to be in August in Salem. My guess is tickets will go fast, so we want to encourage you to purchase them early. That's Friday, August the 16th, 7 p.m. at Riverfront Park in Salem, an evening of great Southern gospel music. Wes Hampton, Tribute Quartet, the Booth Brothers, all will be there. You can find out more and purchase your tickets at 
kpdq.com. And for the first time ever, women here at KPDQ, whose voices you hear on the air, as well as our sister station, The Fish, have put together a podcast that's going to air twice a month. You can have the best day ever with the ladies of 93.9 KPDQ and 104.1 The Fish and the Best Day Ever podcast. I have an opportunity to uh, to join the ladies occasionally. Summer Shore, Crystal Thornton, Cat Taylor. Get to know us uh, behind the mic and hear honest, upbeat conversations about life and family, faith and friendship. New episodes come out every, uh, or I should say twice a month. That's a better way of putting it. On Mondays, you can subscribe and download the latest at kpdq.com. So join us. We would love to have you. And uh, do let us know what you think as we're developing this new podcast. And if Christian education is on your mind, this is a great opportunity for you to consider saving a, a significant amount toward tuition. The Christian education for your child just might be a little more possible than you anticipated. KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition. These are schools like North Clackamas Christian School, Columbia Christian Pilgrim Lutheran Christian School, Western Christian, and uh, many others. To find out more, you can go to listenersavings.com and enjoy some significant discounts. And um, I would really encourage you to do that because there are some opportunities for really great savings. So check that out. Well, this has been a fun Friday, and so we take a look at the lighter side of the news. And something very strange is happening to Earth's magnetic North Pole, we're being told, and no one knows why. Well, planet Earth is alive, deep beneath its skin, its lifeblood, rivers of molten iron, pulse around its core, and this mobile iron is what generates the magnetic field that causes auroras and keeps us all alive. It's just a wonderful thing. Not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made, but the planet itself. But according to the science journal Nature, something strange is going on deep down below. It's causing the magnetic North Pole to skitter away from Canada towards Siberia. That's kind of an interesting thought. Uh, you consider the the Earth as being fixed and things work the way they've always worked, but it's subject, of course, to shifts and changes. So the magnetic pole is moving so quickly that it's forced the world's geomagnetism, uh, according to experts, into a rare move. Well, late, um, well, earlier this year, I should say, not late last year, earlier this year, um, delayed due to the U.S. government shutdown, the world magnetic model that governs... Um, Modern navigation systems is due to undergo an urgent update because of these shifts. Now, the model is a vital component of systems ranging from geopositioning systems used to navigate ships through the uh, the smartphone trackers and maps and so on. Well, the current model was expected to be valid until 2020, but the magnetic pole began to shift so quickly. It was realized in 2018 that the model had to be fixed. And now they realized that it was so inaccurate that it was about to exceed the acceptable or safe limit for navigational errors. Now, if you're driving your car and you're trying to find Greater Portland Bible Church to attend Ignite, for example, it's not that big a deal. But if you are navigating a ship somewhere out there in one of the great oceans, it makes a difference if it's slightly or you know more off and outside of the acceptable range. Well, every year, geophysicists from the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the British Geological Survey do a check on how the Earth's magnetic field is varying, and apparently there's been quite a variation. While we are out of time, I want to thank James Blend for producing and Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, and thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure to hang out for this part of the day. Hope you have a great weekend. Hope to meet many of you at Ignite tomorrow. 
And we'll be back here on Monday. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.